Canada curious? This is the Yes We Canada podcast, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. This episode, Canada, the land of Nomo. Hi, I'm Matt Zimbel in Montreal, Canada. The land of Nomo. The land of no momentum. It's said that faced with an innovative idea, an American executive is afraid to say no, while a Canadian executive is afraid to say yes. Things happen here very, very slowly. Urgency is delayed until the last possible moment. In international diplomatic circles, the Canadian solution is code for, well, let's just study it, eh? Up here, there are taxpayer-funded government white papers on every imaginable subject of governance. These studies cost millions of dollars to produce and then rest comfortably on a shelf in a government archive somewhere without an iota of implementation. There's often very bold thinking in our country of Canada, but thinking ain't doing, and consensus on bold action is rare. After all is said and done, more will be said than done. The Canadian senator and former judge Murray Sinclair calls it the platitudinal approach. Sinclair was one of Canada's very few Indigenous judges, and he chaired the Residential School Truth and Rights Commission. Now, we talked about the residential schools on an earlier episode. The schools were a culture-crushing government and church collaboration of horrors that continued until the early 1980s in Canada, resulting in an estimated 6,500 deaths of Indigenous children while in school. The UN called it a genocide. Senator Sinclair explains the platitudinal approach by saying that when a government needs to get out of a boiling pot of water and doesn't want to be involved in a difficult conversation, they create a commission or inquiry, give it a mandate, throw some money at it, and boldly ask the commissioners to, quote, tell us what to do. We probably won't do it, but this commission will cool things down and we're good with that, end quote. But retired Senator Sinclair has a workaround. He says that in recent times, citizens are becoming more activist. So when the people embrace a commission's recommendations, the people will then push the government to take action and be held accountable on the recommendations of their own commission. Murray says the way to conduct an effective commission is to make sure the commissioners, quote, speak to the people, because ultimately the people will force change, not the government. You'll find the pace up here much more relaxed. It's said that in New York they need it yesterday, in LA they need it tomorrow, in Canada, first of next week would be fine if it's not too much trouble. A call to action isn't really our thing here. When my family arrived in Canada in 1971, we watched a Canadian film award show on TV. One of the presenters was an actor, director, puppeteer by the name of Rod Conabare. The previous year, Mr. Conabare had won the Best Director Award. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but in his acceptance speech, he said something like this. Last year, I won the award I'm presenting tonight, Best Director. 
What an honor. I was sure that this prize would be a life-changing event. After the after-party, I went home and waited for offers to pour in. Nothing happened for a week, and I thought, well, I'm sure that producers are intimidated by this important award I won, and they want to be certain that when they approach me to direct their next feature, their project is in the best shape possible. Six months later, I went down to the basement to check and see if the phone lines were still connected. Then one day, after eight months of utter unemployment, an offer poured in. And I should just say for our younger listeners, phone lines refer to a cable, a little piece of wire, that used to be attached to a phone. It's adorable, huh? Back in the 1970s, we lived in the country, in Prince Edward Island. Our phone not only had a wire, but it had many wires, because we had what was called a party line. Ten residents in our rural neighborhood all shared the same phone line. So you'd pick up the phone to make a call and someone would be just chatting away. Of course, you'd do the polite thing and hang up and not eavesdrop on your neighbor's private phone conversation. Of course. Understand that this was the 70s, long before phone sex was invented. Which is really a shame when you think about it, because party lines in rural PEI could have been the birthplace of group phone sex. What you wearing, Boyd? Coveralls. What you wearing, Florence? Overalls. <gasps> what you wearing, Angus? Coveralls. What you wearing, Siobhan? Overalls. Why do you ask, Angus? <gasps> My parents were both freelancers. My father, a documentary photographer. My mother, a writer and therapist. To feed their family, they depended on the phone ringing. So they wrote the award-winning director Rod Conybear's phrase of wisdom, an offer poured in, on a piece of masking tape and taped it to the receiver of the phone, where it stayed until my parents left Prince Edward Island for Montreal ten years later. There are two reasons that offers don't pour in up here in Canada. The first is called the tall poppy syndrome, which we've reviewed on other episodes, and it will not be on your citizenship test, but it goes like this. The tall poppy reaches for the limitless sky with ambition to grow big and tall. And the other poppies envy its height and power and have it professionally chop the fuck down. You see, up here the vibe is chill. Ambition is seen as American. Striving. Well, well, that's just a direct line to the horror of all Canadian horrors. An inflated ego. The second problem in our lack of momentum, is we just don't have enough people. Do you remember from our previous podcast how many people we have? Because for sure this is going to be on your citizenship test. I'll give you a hint. More folks in Australia, less folks than California. Say it quietly to yourself. 37 million. Yep. We're not allowed people. We do not do volume up here. The vibe is chill. And this is the key. We have a huge chunk of land, second largest country in the world by measurement of land mass, but we have just a smattering of folks, 37 point something or other million humble folk, just sitting around Canadianing in the cold. And that's why we're a nation of no-mo, no momentum. We need more folks. We need a new immigration policy. We need a peppy new slogan. Immigrate to Canada. Bring a friend. Okay, granted, it's not nearly as sexy as 
Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. But in a pinch, immigrate to Canada, bring a friend, we'll have to do. Now, when you move to Canada, you don't want to just live here. You want to be huge up here. You want to become an enormous Canadian success story. Why? Because you're an American. That's what you do. And I'm going to tell you how to do this. You will get tremendous attention, admiration, and lucrative funding by following this exceedingly simple rule. I can't believe I'm giving this shit away for free. I should be like all the rest of the Americans and become a motivational speaker telling my fellow Americans how they too can be great like me. Okay, not right now. Success awaits you in Canada by simply having Americans write and say nice things about you, give you awards, IPO you on Wall Street, whatever. That's it. If you're in the Globe and Mail, Canada's paper of record, meh, no biggie. If it's in the New York Times, well, then that's a thing. Oh, yeah. And if before you moved here, you pissed off everyone in your native land, then get the Brits to say nice things about you. Because we love it when all people are lauded by others. No one gives a shit about your Canadian success, your Canadian sales, your Canadian inventions. You are only a winner, an innovator, a visionary. If someone in America or Britain says you are, that is exciting. It's the mid-afternoon of April 1993, and my band Manteca had just been booked to play the Playboy Jazz Festival at the prestigious Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. Matt Zimbel. Hi, Mr. Zimbel. My name is Sharon. I'm calling from the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Los Angeles. Congratulations on being booked to play the Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl. I just want to let you know that we are the Rock and Roll Hotel in L.A. and We'd love to have your group stay with uh, us. Sharon, uh, sh- sorry, Sharon. I-, I have another call. Can you hang on a sec? Matt Zimbel. Mr. Zimbel. Speaking. My name is Tiffany. I'm calling from the Hilton in Los Angeles. That's really great news about the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. Cool. Um, We'd love for you to... uh, Tiffany, sorry. Could you just hold on a second? I have another call. Matt Zimbel. Mr. Zimbel. My name's Susan. I'm calling from the Sportsman Lodge Hotel in LA. Hi. Wow. Playboy Jazz Fest. Like, that's really fantastic news. Awesome. Just want you to know that all the groups stay with us. Well, I had no idea that all the hoteliers in L.A. attend the Playboy Jazz Festival press conference and then cold call bands trying to get them to stay at their hotel. That, my friend, is what we call initiative. I was impressed, flattered even. Suddenly, we were in demand in L.A. I always liked the underdog, so I thought I'd have a discussion with Susan at the Sportsman's Lodge. That one sounded the cheapest. She made her pitch. Last week we had Bruce Hornsby, week before the Yellow Jackets... Before then, Van Morrison's band was here, and ugh, we have a great pool. Michael Jackson's band is staying with us now. Free tour bus parking, we're right near the venue, and we won't walk you, I promise. Walk us? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, right. You might not have heard that expression before. Well, in, in L.A., if a hotel gets a booking from a more high-profile guest, they'll kick you out. That's what we call walking. But we wouldn't do that to you, promise. <laughs> Let me assure you of two things. First of all, there is no hotel in Canada enterprising enough to go to a music industry press conference and cold call bands all afternoon trying to recruit reservations. And two, if Canadian hoteliers listened to this podcast and discovered this business building trick, they would never walk you. Status is not that important up here. And it just wouldn't be polite. 
Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry, sir. You seem to have become unreserved, eh? In Canada, we are a modest people, and when huge international celebrity hits, it's very difficult to process with humility. And I speak from personal experience. In 2017, somebody in the Ministry of Culture in Beijing made a horrible mistake. A documentary film that I made with my friend Jean-Francois Gratton about my father, the famous photographer George Zimbel, had played at the Shanghai International Film Festival in 2016. It had been warmly received, and the commie culture crat thought that they would invite the film to play at the Beijing International Film Festival in 2017. Very much to my surprise, I was also invited to give a keynote speech. The festival flew me over business class. They put me up in a swanky suite. They gave me two assistants, a car and a driver, a formal lunch in my honor, and upon my arrival, I was scrummed by the media. It was delightful. Clearly, these communist people know who I think I am. I was asked to be the president of the jury for an important feature film award. Now here, I need to waste a little bit more of your time by telling you how eminently qualified I am to be the president of a jury awarding the prize for Best International Feature Film. As my partner would testify, every year I watch the first 30 minutes of roughly three films before falling fast asleep. So if careful consideration of the feature that took you seven years to finance, six months to shoot, and two years to edit is what you're looking for, I'm your guy. As long as the first 30 minutes rock, you're in good hands. On my first day in China, the heat in concrete Beijing was sweltering. As president of the jury, I was booked to screen the five nominated films starting at 7 a.m. because I guess commies like to get an early start. My assistants, and please do note the thrilling plural on that word, met me in the lobby of the hotel to guide me to my limo. In the cup holder, I found an ice-cold bottle of water glistening with little goblets in the heat. It looked delicious. The next day, as I left the hotel, I thought, well, I don't need to bring my water bottle with me. I'm huge in Beijing. They'll provide water for me in my limo. And then I get into the car, and God fucking damn it, there's the cup holder, but no bottle of water. Where is my fucking water? I quietly think to myself. And then... In a moment of Canadian calm, I realize, wow, dude, it only took you 24 hours to become an egocentric, self-centered asshole. No more media scrums for you, sir. They just go right to your head. Now, I'm afraid we're going to have to walk you. We've got listeners way more high profile than you who want to hear our cool theme. Thanks to Lisa Evans, who you also may know as... My name is Sharon. I'm calling from the Hyatt Regency. My name's Susan. I'm calling from the Sportsman Lodge Hotel. My name is Tiffany. I'm calling from the Hilton in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening to the Independent Podcast, Yes We Canada. Smash subscribe or like on your favorite platform. There's a new episode every Tuesday night. You can join the discussion on Twitter at Yes We Canada Pod. Thanks for listening. See you next week.